It wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't outstanding. Didn't leave you feeling great. And Oregon's win against Cal is a sign of a really good thing for the Ducks. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening to or watching the show. Big shout out to all of you who have done so already. That was such a cow game, wasn't it? Like if you told me, like I told many of you, how that game was going to play out, I would have said without knowing where the opponent, right? Oregon's going to go into a stadium that doesn't have full capacity and, you know, there are going to be a lot of Duck fans there and... It's going to be a sunny day, and they're going to get off to a sluggish start, and it's not going to be perfect, and it's just kind of going to be ugly, and then eventually Oregon will will kind of pull away. I would have said, oh, yeah, that's a cow game right there. And that is a cow game. That is a Justin Wilcox special right there is what we just saw. And I felt like watching that game, I was reminded of of something from baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan, as you all know. I miss my beloved Mariners, but I am so happy that they ended the longest professional drought in the four major sports this year. But Oregon on Saturday reminded me of a team that puts its ace out on the mound, and he's reliable. He's just out there solid time and time and time again. You can always count on him. But he's human, so 98% of the time is his actual success rate. And he goes out there, and he allows, you know, he doesn't get shelled. He doesn't get shellacked. It's not a calamitous performance. But he goes out there and needs 95 pitches to get through five innings, and he gives up four runs. If your baseball team can win that game by a final score of 8-4, to you're a very good baseball team. Because you don't have to have everything be perfect or everything be great or everything go just the way you need to beat an opponent that you should beat in the manner, scoreboard-wise, that you should. That's this Oregon game against Cal. They ran the ball, the Ducks did, for 4.4 yards per carry. Didn't want to say 4.5. That would make it sound you know just so much different than 4.4. They ran it at 4.4 yards per carry. That's one of their lower marks of the year. It might be their lowest mark of the season because it was four and a half against Georgia. They didn't run the ball that well. The offensive line got beat and allowed rushers to come at Bo Nix more than they have all year. And still, Oregon scored, checks notes, over 40 points again. And there were two empty red zone trips and the offense was still over 40 points. And Bonix threw for over 400 yards, and you had over 500 yards of offense again on the road. And you won by 18. This is a game we had to sweat down to the last possession a year ago at home. And here we are, Duck fans, understandably so, are looking at what Oregon did wrong in this game. But you have to appreciate where the Ducks are at as a program at the moment. I know Cal's not that good but they're not that bad. They lost to Colorado. They're a better team than Colorado. They just weren't better on that particular day. 
They also beat Arizona, and Arizona beat Colorado. See, it's a really fun game. Cal's going to end the year with more wins, and Cal overall is a better team than Colorado. Vegas believes the same, by the way. The Ducks open as a 30-point road favorite in Boulder on Saturday. Better not lose that one. It's not a great Cal team, but it's not a disastrous team either. And you beat them. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Ducks, covered by a point. That's all I saw. That's what I saw out there. But in all seriousness, that's a game where Oregon put on what? It's B-minus effort? Was that a B-minus? Was that a C-plus? Stumbling in the red zone? I did not. I repeat, I did not like going forward on fourth and four early. I didn't like that decision at all. If you're at home, that's one thing. Four yards? Mm, I don't know. I might have taken the points there, Dan. You got a good field goal kicker, and you're on the road. That's one. You got to learn to just take points sometimes. It's it's okay because it's demoralizing if you come away with nothing the way the Ducks did. And still, even with those two negatives, won the game by 18 points. And like I said going into the game, the final score is going to make it appear closer than it ever really was. And Cal hung around early. And Oregon needed to wake up. And that's what I thought would happen. Like, I don't feel that differently about Oregon today, hardly at all. Some people might say, oh, well, this, oh, well, that. And I'm going to go through the offense and the defense and how each perform. But overall, that is exactly, I mean, down to the letter. I thought it would be a 38 to 24, 23 game for, for Cal, or, or for, for Oregon, rather, of course. I thought they'd get the win, and it was 42 24. And going into it, I thought one or two of those touchdowns, turned out to be two pretty much, would be once the game was already in hand. It was. Cal's backup came in, made some nice throws, and Kamari Terrell fell down. Any Oregon fans out there that are worried about the defense, how'd you allow that many points? They didn't. They allowed it when the game was over. I don't care at all. I mean, literally, not whatsoever. What happens once the game is already decided. Because who cares? Who cares? You, you want to be able to look at the stats and have them look prettier and be better? I was talking about this in the context of the defense going into this game. Yeah, you're bottom third in a lot of categories. You'd like to be better than that. But at the same time, the other teams that are down there are not actually good, are not actually winning games. There's Arizona, there's Colorado, there's Arizona State, right? All those sorts of teams are in that discussion. Why is Oregon better? Yes, their offenses are better, but their defense is not actually as bad as those numbers indicate. I think we saw that on Saturday. I was pleased, and even after I tweeted this, Cal scored two more touchdowns in the fourth quarter, again, once the game was already over, I was pleased with how the defense played. Yeah, they gave up a couple plays early. Jack Plummer made some pretty incredible throws, and Cal... Contrary to what they usually have as a football team, they've got a couple of nice weapons. J. Michael Sturdivant, I don't know why he's a cow. I really don't. He's a really good player. If he was at Oregon, he would be one of our primary receivers. He would crack the top four, most, like, most likely knocking out like a Chase Coda, who I think is nice. Hope is okay. He tweeted that he was going to be and such. But after that, what did Oregon's defense allow? What Seriously, what did they allow, if you're concerned? I'll, let's start with the defense. I was going to go offense first and then defense. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. 
What have we been worried about week after week with Oregon's defense? Third down defense. And I saw a lot of Duck fans online who were frustrated with the defensive showing in this game. I'm not exactly sure why. My expectations going into it were if the starters allow more than 20 points to this Cal team, that's a disappointment. Well, guess what? They didn't. They did not. They performed well. Yes, it's a pretty dreadful offense for the most part. But they've got a couple of nice pieces. Their offensive line is bad. Our defensive line took over the game as it went on. And after they had a couple of good drives that they that they ended with points, a field goal, and then a touchdown after the long passing play. And by the way, that touchdown was a heck of a throw from Jack Plummer. Triquez is in a decent spot, gets beat a little bit. But that ball had to be layered over the top of Justin Flo into the corner of the end zone and keep him in. Like, sometimes you just tip your cap and say, all right, that's a good play. Right? Even Dante Manning on the long ball. Cal receiver, eh, got away with a little bit of a push-off. He's not in a terrible position. It's not a busted coverage. Sometimes the other team just makes plays, like Gonzo early in that game. He's in a great position. And J. Michael Sturdivant makes a hell of a catch. He, he just does. You can catch yourself winning money if you go use Bet Online, the number one source for your football betting needs and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and my personal favorite, golf. Oh, go Mariners, still, even though it's the off-season for us. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Sometimes other teams make good plays. I'd be concerned about those long passes if guys were running wide open, but they weren't. Those are 50-50 balls, and Cal's receivers made the plays. Okay, it happens. I don't think that's a big cause for concern. And you know what I saw after that? That made me feel really encouraged about the defense and continues as I record this show late on Sunday night to make me feel encouraged about the defense. They made adjustments. And what were a lot of us looking at a year ago and saying, man, it seems like this particular area is lacking. Like, why are in-game adjustments not being made? It was more prevalent on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, it seemed like a lot of the same issues came up time and time again. We've been saying the third down defense. Yeah, it's not good enough. Four of 15? Four of 15, the Golden Bears on third down. That's what you should do to that Cal offense. Do you need to be better against a really good offense? Yeah, but I talked about it last week after the win against UCLA. I said, boy, holding UCLA to 6-12, of 12, I know it's not a beautiful number, but... Boy, it looks a heck of a lot better than what we've shown in the previous weeks. And then they come on the road against an offense that they are better than in terms of their defensive personnel, and they hold them to 4 or 15. And another quick note on that long pass to Dante Manning. That's on the defensive line. That pass never should have gotten off. But the defensive line was lost in translation with the play-action fake, and Jack Plummer had too much time to throw the football. You, you can't give a quarterback that much time. I'm not very high on Jack Plummer. I haven't been. All season long, talking about him on Locked On Pac-12. He's just kind of, you know, he's there. He's a guy. He's not that impressive. He was benched at Purdue for a reason. But he can make some throws every now and then. I mean, like, he's not completely incompetent. He's not, 
uh, you know, looking like Braxton Burmeister out there when he was at Oregon and just not able to move the football. Like, no, he can make a throw here and there. He's just not going to do a ton. But as the game went on, Oregon made adjustments. Oregon made adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line started to take over. And it's easy, especially in the Twitter age, and I get it. I was watching and tweeting. I was watching from uh, Las Vegas in the Westgate Sportsbook, and oh my gosh, is that a glorious place to watch and enjoy college football and whatnot. But I understand that people watch the first quarter and react to it and then have that sense of whatever they're feeling in the moment stick with them for a long time and feel like that's how you should feel about the game. There's four quarters of football. And you know what Oregon's dominating this year? It's something called the middle eight. And they have been excellent since the Georgia game all year long in the middle eight. The last four minutes of the second quarter and the first four minutes of the third quarter. And that is arguably, from a coaching and schematic perspective, the biggest change from a year ago. The middle eight, the Ducks are dominating. Think about the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. They're a very good basketball team. Can we all agree on that? Okay, yeah. Well, well-run franchise, they win a lot of games. Are they beating everyone by 25 at the half? No. They're better than the other team. Inferior teams can hang around with them. But you know when they get them? The third quarter. Golden State's third quarters are legendary. Just because you're better than another team does not always mean that you should be blowing them out from the first snap. They've got athletes, too. They're trying to win, too. And so the talent gap you see or the coaching gap that exists in a given game can take time to play out. you got to be patient with that sort of stuff over the course of a game sometimes. Now, Colorado, that's an exception. An FCS opponent, that's an exception. They should never be able to hang around. But Cal is not wildly incompetent. No, they are not good. It's not a very good football team. But they are not some joke of a team that you can just walk over that have no athletes. I mean, Jay Knott was a one-time Oregon commit. Jordan James hadn't flipped from Georgia. Would Jay Knott be a guy seeing a lot of carries right now? Yeah, maybe. He might be in that rotation. He's really good. If Jay Michael Sturdivant had come to Oregon, I don't know if we were ever in that running because it was uh, a a while ago, but like that's a really good player. He's like a top 150 player. You can't slow those guys down on every single play. But people have that sort of expectation of you should just dominate. You should win every single place. You win 100% of the plays. Like, no, that's not going to happen. So when I assess Oregon's defense, I'm not looking at the first quarter and thinking, oh, they got torched through the air. Well, they picked off Jack Plummer on the first series. They picked him off again later. And those both led to drives that went down inside the red zone. I, again, will reiterate, I did not like kicking or I I did not like passing on the field goal try on the opening series like you're on the road go get points just just go get points and if you had then Cal never would have had a lead after it was seven nothing because Oregon took then the seven to three lead Cal got it back right and it's just I, I I didn't think it was necessary I understand being aggressive they've been very good on fourth down this year but down in the red zone on fourth and four That's a really, really tough yardage. The fourth and one is just missed assignment from the left side of the offensive line. And Noah Whittington kind of slipped. Like, that, not as upset about that one. But the fourth and four, I'd like to see him take the points going forward. But defensively, what have we been looking for from Oregon? 
can you get consistent pressure? It's not a good Cal offensive line. Well, yeah, they did that. That's how you get off the field on third down. A, a common misconception is that your secondary has to be incredible and perfect in coverage. The number of times over the course of a football game, college, pro, or high school, that there's an open guy on third down who doesn't have the ball come his way because of the pressure from the defensive front, too many to count. You could argue most third downs are like that. There were a number of third downs in this game. Of the 11 that Cal failed to convert against the Oregon defense, I would probably venture a guess and say about half of them had a guy who would have at least had a chance to make a play or maybe get a first down. But the pressure came, and Noah Sewell had another good game, and Brandon Dorless had a great game, led all Power 5 rushers with nine quarterback pressures in this game. DJ Johnson had two tackles for loss and two sacks. Those guys were up there wreaking havoc, and that's what Oregon has to continue to do. It'll get tougher once you play the final three games of the year compared to this one and then the upcoming matchup with Colorado. But that's what we've wanted to see. If you show it against inferior teams, it means you have the potential to at least do something, gives you the confidence, gives you that moxie up front to know that you can, in fact, get after the other team's quarterback. And so I was really encouraged by what we saw defensively. And you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. The game was over. What was it like 31 to 10 at one point in the fourth, 38 to 10? And then Cal started scoring. I think it was I think it was 30 or 35. I don't, I don't even remember. Right? It was a lot to a little. It was like seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And then Kai Milner, who, gosh, maybe that guy should be the starting quarterback because he can move. And it looks like he's capable at least of making a couple throws. Doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. But I think he was a four-star recruit. That looks like the future for Cal at, at the quarterback position, but I'll shift it back to the Ducks since this is last time I checked an Oregon Ducks podcast. Yeah, that's right. It's called Locked on Ducks. So that's how, that's how we roll here. So I was pleased with what I saw defensively. I saw pressure up front. I saw him get off the field on third down. I saw him take advantage of Cal mistakes. I saw the secondary making plays. I saw guys holding up in one-on-one coverage situations. Other times... Cal receivers just made some plays, and that's going to happen. It's going to happen again going forward this season. If Oregon meets like USC in the Pac-12 championship game, it'll probably happen a lot. And the defense has still got to continue to improve, right? Because now the next step for those defensive backs, and I'm going to shout out the safeties here in just a moment, is, okay, so those 50-50 balls are getting completed. What do we need to do to figure out how to knock them down? Because if you're in that sort of position, you got to be able to have the ball skills to to get it to the turf. That's the next step. Those are the sorts that Dan Lennon, a pretty good program, once again, because you don't have to play your best to win on the road in conference against a bad but not disastrous, disastrously terrible Cal Bears team. And you win by 18. That's a pretty good place to be. That is a pretty darn good place to be. I got a shout at the safeties here. Coming into the year, I had questions about that particular unit. You you lose Verone McKinley, who, by the way, is now starting with the Miami Dolphins. To none of our surprise, after he went undrafted, that was a surprise. He's starting next to Javon Holland for Miami. How awesome is that? And they beat Detroit on Sunday because the Lions are, you know, the Lions. So... I had questions about it coming in, and I thought early in the year 
some of the leakages in the back end of the defense, in the secondary in particular, were, were, were because of the safeties. I see nothing but improvement from them every single week. Bennett Williams has been the rock, right? He's been kind of that, that star player on the back end of a 4-2-5 where he's kind of a linebacker, kind of a safety. He's here. He's, he's just on the field. He's just there to make plays. He's the most sure, tackle on, sure tackler on, on the team, I think, uh, certainly at, at the second level. That's true. But I think when you look at what Brian Addison and Steve Stevens have been doing over the last couple of weeks, dramatic growth. Addison in particular, two weeks in a row with an interception. And it's not the only play that he's made in either of those two games. He's flying around. He's hitting people. I think his instincts are continuing to improve. And when he made that transition, I thought, man, former wide receiver trying to find a role, like maybe it'll work out. I don't know. We'll see. His explosiveness and his just feel for the position seem to get better on a week-by-week basis. He's been great. And then Steve Stevens saved the team four points there on the drive where Cal settled for three because he's in coverage and he knocks that ball away. Pretty well-thrown ball, but he's in a good spot and he knocks it away. They're, They're making a lot of plays, and I just see them more involved. I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. Don't ask me to explain what's going on. I don't... I don't need an explanation. Just go Hawks, baby. Uh, Gino for the win. So one thing I remember earlier in, in my life as a Seahawks fan was watching Earl Thomas play. Guy was awesome. Like, peak Earl Thomas was awesome. And as a free safety, he was so dominant from what I can remember watching on TV. I felt like he was in on every single play because he's just roaming around, flying around. His instincts, his speed, anticipation, his reading of the offensive plays – it was sensational, top tier. And I always felt like he was in on a tackle or in around the ball. And when I watch Stevens and Addison, that's what I'm seeing more and more of. Not that they're on that level, but that sort of presence, that sort of, they're just there to make plays. And by the way, on that Brian Addison interception, shout out to Triquez Bridges, had that guy blanketed. It was just not a good read from Plummer. Ducks made him pay. Those two guys, I think, continue to play better and better. The secondary, I think, had another good week. They gave up a couple of long passes, but overall, I'm liking what I'm seeing, and I want to just keep seeing the progress. Keep ticking it up. Little by little, keep improving. All right, let's talk about the offense. Not great. Yeah, no, it wasn't... Uh... Wasn't their wasn't their best game. They weren't hitting 98. They were topping out at like 96 miles per hour in this game. Yeah, no, not uh, another. How many points they score? Oh yeah, 42 against a defensive oriented team and a defensive minded head coach who X's and O's. I think is really smart. He's missing some of his best guys, but I saw him holding explosive Washington offense to 28 points on that exact same field. And Oregon has run the ball at such a high level this year that you expect them to do it week in and week out. But Cal, pretty stout against the run, made life difficult for Oregon. It, it wasn't, you know, sub three yards per carry or anything like anything like that. But by the Ducks' standards and what we've seen from them in conference games this year, yeah, they didn't run the ball very well. They, they, they did not. But the great thing about Oregon is they're the ace that is not a one-trick pony. 
they have got a lot of options, a number of ways to kill you. And Bo Nix had another plus 400-yard game. I think he had, what, 416? Ran for a couple. Quarterback sneak is back and, and working really well. Helps when you're six foot two and strong like Bo Nix and got a great offensive line anchored by Alex Forsyth at the center. I, uh, I, I think offensively, what continues to amaze me the most is the number of guys that get involved. And it still doesn't feel like enough to keep everybody around, right? I mean, transfers are going to happen this offseason. I think we can all sort of get a sense of who those guys are. But, and, and I don't think that's a, that's a big problem. That's just part of running a program now. And when you have talented guys who can find playing time elsewhere, and you have a lot of them, they're not a, all able to see the field. But Oregon is doing their darndest to get everybody the football. Because did you know? Did you know, Duck fans, that 11 different players caught a pass in this game? 11. That's a ridiculous number. This is the most we've seen the running backs be involved in the passing game. And guess what? I'm here for it. Whittington comes from an air raid system. You saw what he can do after the catch. We know what Bucky Irving can do at any point in the field. Bucky Irving, stiff arm. Is that a mini Derrick Henry out there? That guy's stiff arm is like an automatic make a guy miss a tackle. You just, he is ridiculously strong for a guy that size. Whittington's long touchdown run. It was awesome. And you know who I love most in the passing game? It's the guy who I've talked about all year is probably the best pass catching running back. And that's Sean Dollars. And he was in on the action. Only had a couple carries. If Bo had handed it to him, he could have had a touchdown. Instead, Bo pulled it and had a walk-in touchdown on another little wrinkle there from Kenny Dillingham where you have Ryan Walk un- uncovered on the outside, which you can do in college. Then you leave the guy in front of him unblocked, and he kicks out to lead for Bo Nix. Like, just all those little things just continue to add up offensively, continue to look good. But Sean Dollars in space, pff, dude, sign me up for as much of that as possible. Because he is an explosive athlete. I still maintain, of all the running backs there, he's the most explosive athlete of the bunch. If you're talking about acceleration and straight line speed, I think he's the most impressive. I understand why Irving's the number one. But back to what I was talking about with the the starting pitcher analogy, you don't always have your best stuff. But you got more than one pitch. Oregon didn't run the ball particularly well. I think that was the worst game of the season statistically for Bucky Irving. He only had like 30-some-odd yards on the ground. But guess what? Noah Whittington ran the ball well. And Sean Dollars ran the ball well. And Bo Nix ran the ball well. And it was still 4.4 yards a carry. And then you involve those running backs in the passing game. All of them. And being able to put any guy out there, keep them fresh, rotating them in, is such a, such a, a, uh, what's the word, what's the term I'm looking for here? Embarrassment of riches. That's what it is. It's an embarrassment of riches for Kenny Dillingham. And he's using them all. And oh my gosh, Patrick Herbert with a touchdown. How happy did that make all of you? That'll be tomorrow's Nissan exciting play, no doubt. Herbert involved, Montevallo involved, Ferguson involved, and then Coda involved. Hopefully he's okay. Franklin involved. Thornton had a catch. Should have had another one. Bad throw from Bo. That was his worst of the game. He uh, kind of short-armed it down there to Dante Thornton, who filled in very well, I think. 
when Chase Cota went down. That's why you want depth. That's why we talk about recruiting and bringing guys in the transfer portal because one guy goes down, you don't want there to be a drop-off. Anyone feel like there was a drop-off with the offense when Cota left? No, and he's been one of the top targets this year. Hudson had a great game. How about the trust Bonex putting Chris Hudson? Drops a wide-open touchdown. I mean, you can't wrap it and put it under the tree any better than that. And he drops it. And Bonex went right back to him. Right back to him. And he had a great game. It's 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 ridiculous. I want to see. I did not look before I came on on the show, like, you know, studying them or anything. The 11 guys who caught a pass. Chris Hudson, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, Chase Cota, Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington, Sean Dollars, Terrence Ferguson, Patrick Herbert, Maliki Matavau. That's 10. Mm, 10 out of 11. I don't know. That's a passing grade. I think that's close enough. I could look at the other one, but I'm sure you're all going to look at. You know what? No, now I'm going to look. Now, now I am going to uh, going to look to see who the 11th was. But I, I just I <laughs> I love that you can't just key in on uh, on one guy. You you can't just key in. Cam McCormick caught a pass. Another tight end on one guy. Four tight ends caught a pass in this game. Four tight ends, three running backs, and four receivers. What are you going to do if you're a defense? Nothing. Another game over 40 points for Oregon. And it didn't even feel like they were perfect. They had two empty red zone trips, and they're over 40 points. Good place to be. Good day for the program. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.